am your father. This is, this is a Brandon Colby Jacobs from Facebook exclusive. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Touche, my nigga. Touche. Yo, what it do, what it is, man. It's your boy, Brandon Kobe Jacobson. You are listening to the Established 1984 podcast. I believe we're on... Golly, we're either on episode 19 or 20 because we had those three episodes that came in with Swords. And honestly, man, like this is probably to date... Outside of probably Ricky just kind of being himself, this is probably, I think, a podcast that a lot of people are going to be like, oh, snap, I'm waiting to waiting to get on this one. I'm waiting to see this one. I want to hear what he has to say. I have uh, a person who I've been friends with for, what, going on? Yeah, probably like 11 years now. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he has been to, to my house on multiple occasions. Um, there are a lot of things that have gone on at Drunken Cookouts that we shall never speak of, but we will talk about a lot of different topics. <laughs> I have my I have my good friend who has been discussed on this podcast multiple times, DJ 151 on the line. 151, how are you, sir? What's happening, man? What's going on? Ain't nothing, man. Ain't nothing, man. I mean, it... it, it it really seems like uh, I think that you've been a kind of a topic of discussion a little bit um, on a couple of episodes. But before we get there, and we're definitely going to get there, and we'll cover all of those things, the things that were alleged, the things that people have said, the perspective that people have had about you. We'll get to all of those things. But what I want to do first, you're a Jacksonville native. And what I like to do usually when we have Jacksonville natives on the line is I want to talk about a little bit about where you're from, what hood you rep, you know, where you came up, where you went to high school, that kind of stuff. So fill people in. What side of town you rep? Uh, side of town I rep. Um, from South Side. Okay, South Side. You know, I feel like the Lone Ranger out there sometimes, you know. Why you say you feel like they're a Lone Ranger? <laughs> you know, I don't really meet a lot of people from Southside, you know. If they do, you know, they, they be hiding a lot of the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know. Fair enough. Fair but enough. Yeah, I was, I was born. I was born and raised. I was born and raised on the South Side. Um, pretty much the same area that uh, that bird that bird grew up in. Okay. Okay. So over by the Inglewood area, we didn't know each other. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know each other coming up, and and we didn't go to the same schools, but okay, kind of, you know. Once we met up with D-Dan or whatever, you know, we found out that information. Okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you go to Douglas Anderson? I did. Okay. Okay. I did go there. That's where I, <laughs> that's where I graduated from. Okay. Okay. What was your... What was your that's where I graduated from. What was your uh, focus? What was your specification? Like, what, what, you know, everybody's either art or fashion or whatever. So, what was your deal? Man, I played I played alto sax, man. Oh, okay. So that's kind of yeah, where some of that I, musicianship comes from, huh? Dude, I, I I guess so, man. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was just like one of those things. Like it was elective was available. And was like yo, you what you want to do? I was like, okay, let's do band. Okay. All right, cool. Let's play alto alto sax. So it was. It kind of I kind of flowed into that, and then um, you know. I was able, you know, I got, I was good at it, so right. I got to go to high school at DA, and you know, it's, it being an art school or whatever, took it to another level. But mm-hmm. once I graduated, man, that was that was it. 
Now, do you feel like because and we'll get to talking about kind of the the way that you're more defined as an artistic DJ. But do you feel like uh, going to Douglas Anderson, Douglas Anderson sort of shaped the way you are musically, how you listen to sounds and just maybe creatively how, how your mind began to develop from a, from a music standpoint? Most definitely, man, because, I mean, I can't speak on, you know, other schools' curriculum as far as musically, but, um, well, I did go to Stanton, too. Okay, And I was okay. in a marching band there, but, so I guess I compare, I compare that, you know what I'm saying? It, mm-hmm. it was the, I would say the instruction, you know what I'm saying, was just, it was an intense at both schools. Mm-hmm. You know, they really, the, the instructors at both schools really cared about music. Right. Which is always dope, you know, when you're trying to learn something. Right. But we definitely, at Douglas Santos, we definitely, you know, went into mute the subject of music just a lot more, you know, as far as theory, history, appreciation of it, right. different genres. So to answer your question, yes, it, it did shape me, you know, a lot because I was exposed to a lot. I think I was exposed to a lot more than I would have, you know, had I went to another school. Okay. You know. Okay. You know, because you two eat Jazz, you know, all kind of stuff, man. It's just, it yeah. was cool. My, you know, I, some, you know I didn't appreciate. I didn't appreciate it when I was when I was there, but you know, now you know, as I got older, like okay, I see what it was all about. Hey, man, low key, I appreciated your school too because my high school sweetheart went to Douglas <laughs> Anderson, and I was up at that school every day thugging it out because we used to come up there because no disrespect to your school, I think you was gone by the time I showed up around there. But man, like. Most of the yeah. dudes was cornballs. So, you know what I'm saying? We come up there, no shirts on. You know what I'm saying? Our pants sagging and everything. We pull up blaring music and shit. All the girls would be like, oh, my God. We got some real niggas in here. Like, yeah, bitch, we got yeah. some real niggas in here. <laughs> so we had... Yeah, a- man, it was... Uh- yeah, I, I can see some things like that happen. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely see some things like that happen. But yeah. nah, man, hey, man, it was, yo, man, it was a lot of pretty girls there too. So you know, man, I ain't mad at you if you love. What school did you go to? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No, no, oh, no, where did I go to school? school? I went to First Coast. Yeah. I went to First Coast High School. You went to First Coast. Oh, yeah. Okay, but y'all traveling far. Hey, man, y'all like, I'm not gonna say her name on the podcast. But she was, boy, she had hair down to her booty, and she had ass for days, and, and man, that was, that was some shit that you, you, you would travel for that. You would travel, trust me, you would have traveled from the south to the north side if you had, if you had had, you know what I'm saying, accessibility to an ass like that. She's amazing. She's a good girl now. I know she's, she's married to a JSO right. police officer, so shout out to her. She, she knows who she is, but I, I don't want to say her name on the podcast, but but yeah, I know, man. Right, man. Let's keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. You know. Funny, yeah. But um, so you graduate from uh from Douglas Anderson, and did you immediately go to UNF, or was it? Did you go to FSCJ? Did you go to another school? What, what was the transition like? Man, dude, when I graduated, man, I didn't know what was going. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was about to happen. <laughs> okay. It was like <laughs> I didn't know what was. <laughs> I didn't know what was next. You know, I didn't really have like a set. I don't have a plan set up anything like that, you know. As most of us don't. Um, I mean, well, no, I, mean, I actually thought I was like, yo, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a lot of friends um, going out to school and, and doing different things, you mm-hmm. know. Especially a lot of people who went to uh, fam, well, Tallahassee and Orlando. So it was like, oh, yeah, I want to go to Orlando or Tallahassee. But um, 
what ended up happening was, man, I got a phone call like in the middle of the summer after I graduated, and um, somebody hit me and was like, "Yo, you want a scholarship?" I was like, "Yeah, well, I got a scholarship to UNF, so if you want to go, it's yours." So I was like, "All right, I'll take it." Right. And that's that's basically how I wound up at UNF. Okay. Got the scholarship, and then I started going. And what what year is this? Um, this is this is two thousand one. Okay. 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 Yeah, I don't really, I don't really feel old. Yeah, so yeah, 2001. I was, I was hey man, born I graduated in 2002. It's all good. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So you graduate. Well, so you graduate. You go to UNF, and you're, and you're there in the, in the summer of 2001. Somebody offers you a scholarship. Just you, you have to be the luckiest man on the face of the planet because no shit like this happens to normal people. But so this happens to you, and you end up going to UNF. So what was the initial experience like? Because obviously I know what the what UNF is like from the lens of, you know, 2006 when I'm there. But what what is it like for you in that environment, you know, 2001, where the population of African-Americans is significantly smaller than it is now, significantly smaller than it was when I was there? What What is that experience like? How is the environment? What's the culture like at, at UNF? And, and how do you think that it... Uh, it impacted you, whether that's in a positive or negative way. Dude, man, it, so you know, you and I was for the most part, I would say predominantly Caucasian. School. Yeah, that's fair to say. It's um, a PWI. But, but you know, I don't care. You know where you go. You know, if it's three black people, if it's ten black people, it's gonna feel like it's about two thousand right. black people there. Right. And when I first got the UNF. I definitely thought it was way more black people there than it was. It, now, don't get me wrong. It is It is a lot of, it was a lot of brothers and sisters at the school, but when I got there, dude, it just felt like it was a lot of black people to go to UNF. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, you know, I really, you know, I really dug the scene because the, um, because at that time, I don't think too many, <laughs> too many of the Divine Nine, you know what I'm saying, were, um, I think they were all on campus except for the Q's. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, you know, with the Greeks on campus, you know what I'm saying, and just other little small service organizations, you know, it was just, it was, they had a, you know, a very um, influential, they had a very big influence, I think. Right, right. Especially on, the, especially on the other black students. So, there was just a lot of stuff to go to, a lot of parties, the boathouse was open, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I remember the boathouse. And you know how that, and you know, you know how that was back in the day. So, yeah. it was, um, dude, it was really dope. Cool. You know, it was really dope when I went there. You know, for somebody who wasn't expecting, we didn't know what they were going to do when they graduated high school. To in the fall, I'm, I'm like at UNF. I wasn't staying on campus or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I'm at UNF like chilling like that. It was it was a really dope experience, you know. Okay. So now, obviously, you you tell me that you come from music. <laughs> Where, how do we move from just kind of uh, you know being in the band, graduated from high school? To to mm-hmm. deciding that you want to be a DJ, where, where does that come from? Is that or is it more you met Ivory first and then you become a DJ? Can you kind of walk me through that process? Yeah, man, that's crazy. I got t- I'm telling this story. I like never actually interviewed somebody and was like somebody interviewed me and was like, "Yo, man, well, how did this happen? Tell me about this." So <laughs> it's kind of interesting to sit up there and replay everything in my head. So I'm like, "Whoa." What did it? so as you, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, dang, that did happen. So, you know, I didn't meet Ivory until like maybe like a year later. 
a year, year and a half later. Okay. But when I first got to UNF, um, of course, I didn't know what I wanted to major in, so I didn't know what to do. But um, walking to walking on campus one day, I seen um, a um, an advertisement to uh, do radio. Oh, okay. To be on a radio show. Osprey Radio. Yeah, for okay. yeah, Osprey Radio. I seen the advertisement to be on a radio, and I was like, <clears throat> at the time, I was like. I, I, I didn't like the radio station. I, I forgot. I don't know what was going on. At, I don't know what station was um, up at the time. Um, it was if it was ninety two point seven or ninety two three. But you know, I just didn't like what was being played. So I was like, well, they give me the opportunity to play music on the radio at a school. I go there and play my own music. Right. You know, problem solved. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't on air. We didn't have a dial. <laughs> so it was only broadcasted through the through the television. So if you lived on campus, you can listen to it. So you would have to turn your channel to like you know I don't know channel like thirty seven or something like that, and you can listen to the show. Right. So that's that's basically how I got. And this is not even DJing. This is how I got into radio, mm-hmm. which in turn leads to DJing. Right. Right. So that's how I got on the radio station. You know. Um, I took the uh, flyer or whatever up there to holler at them, you know, went through a little training or whatever, and they were like, okay, cool, you know, come on and do a show. And I picked the show, and I call it the Mike Love Show. <laughs> and, that Mike was, Love. <laughs> and that was and that was my show. Which, as a matter of fact, I still have copies of that show. But yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to get it. I'm going to have to listen that's, to that one day, man. <laughs> That'd be interesting. So it's funny because I remember when you when you interviewed Bird, they were like, "Yo, Mike don't talk to him. You know, Mike doesn't talk to Mike that much." And I'm like, "Yes, yeah, it is crazy." But I used to have a radio show where I had to talk. So I, you know, it's like, is I don't know, man. It's funny how those things, kind of things kind of happen because you put me in a club, I'm not gonna. I'm probably not gonna talk to Mike. That's just not my thing. Right. Okay. You know. So. So you 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 do the Osprey Radio deal. You're going through school, a year passes. How do you run into Ivory? I run into Ivory. Um, so I, I guess the radio show had gained a little traction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had a lot of people on there, a lot of the, the Greek organizations on there, mm-hmm. um, just so they could come up there and kind of, you know, tell people who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really think I had like, a, a gang of listeners, but because I would let people come up there and like and get to actually experience a radio station or whatever, right? It kind of helped, you know what I'm saying? My popularity, right? That's not what I was trying to do, but I was just trying to like get people outlet, you know, to talk about, you know, whatever they had going on. So with me doing all that, I met a lot of people, and so that turned into like a, uh, I turned into like a. I started this freestyle battle on the show. So I used to have rappers come to the show. And, of course, Ivory being at the school at the time, everybody was like, yo, you need to get Ivory on the show. Mm-hmm. Even before I, before I met Ivory, it was like, yo, you need to get Ivory on the show. Dude, the glass, yo, man, he can rap or whatever. I was like, all right, okay, cool. He came through to the freestyle battle. You know, it was dope. And that's how I met Ivory. <laughs> That's how I met him. Yeah. The, so you do, met Ivory before he's a radio, promoter yeah, and as a yeah, rapper. Do me doing my radio show, yeah. Okay. He came up and he was like, yo, man. And he did the show and he freestyled and it was dope. And 
And even still after that, it wasn't anything. It was just still like this dude Ivy who raps, you know, and I do the show. And now because, like, I guess it gained such a – kind of gained, like, a little attraction amongst the, the hip-hop freestyle community at UNF. Mm-hmm. And so people kind of anticipated me. I maybe had, like, three or four, like, freestyle battles. Right. But, you know, they were all, like, you know, super dope. You know, a good number of people came through and they participated, and it was, it was, you know, it was fun. Right. So, that's that's how the production of me and Mr. Orr came about. <laughs> now, <laughs> in this period of time as you're running the radio station, is that when you started, you know, gravitating towards turntables and saying, okay, you know, I, I think I may want to pursue DJing um, beyond just just kind of being a radio personality. Or was it was it something in relationship with as your relationship grows with Ivory that you decide to try to take on this idea of, of actually being a professional DJ? Uh, man, you know, I, that, that would sound good, you know, if I had a story like that. But unfortunately, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah, it still had clicked for me yet. Okay. So I was still just going, kind of just going with the flow of everything. Mm-hmm. Um. Apparently, I guess if you do radio, you know, people automatically assume you're a DJ. Right. So at the time, the Kappas needed a DJ for a party, and they came to me and they were like, yo, can you DJ our party? You know, we'll pay you, you know, this amount right here. And I was like, yeah, I'll DJ your party. <laughs> you know, no like, you're going to pay me this right here. We, of course, yeah, I'll DJ your party. Now, the problem with that was, was one, I've never DJ before, mm-hmm. right? And two, I didn't have equipment. Right. So I didn't really know how this was going to get done, but I was like, I've already committed to it. Yeah, I'm a DJ party. We're going to figure, I'm going to figure all the rest of that stuff out later. Right. So what I found, I don't know how, I don't know how, I can't remember for the life of me, how I found this out, but apparently, um, Osprey Radio allows you to rent equipment out, DJ equipment, mm-hmm. if you know you want to do an event for somebody on campus. Right. You know, but you can't, you know, you can't charge them or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Right. Cause of course, because it's like using you enough equipment for somebody on campus, you know. Right. Because of course, you know, and of course I didn't charge them, you know, quote unquote. But, um, yeah, that's, that's how I got the equipment. And that's kind of like how I started DJing. Because after I did that first party with the Capitals, it was, it was on. I was like, "This is all I got to do." How the party go? So Keep it a buck. How good were you? Uh, how good were you at, at the party, or were you just playing the record all the way through? You ain't scratching. You ain't mixing. You just let's just run these records all the way through, one song to the next. What? How, how good you do? Be honest, dude. I was, <laughs> dude. Now my first party sucked, man. <laughs> my first party I was horrible. <laughs> That's the story. That's the story of every single DJ ever, and that includes me. And I'm not a professional DJ, but I've had to get behind the turntables when D Money was doing his thing. And I can tell you, first time I got behind the tables, I was terrible. And I, I think that that's the that's the story of everybody, man. It, it literally is trial and error. So for for those folks out there who think that they want to get into the industry and want to be DJs. It is literally trial and error for most people who become right. the amazing DJs that you know today. So, yo, so. It's exactly what happened, man. I suck, man. Everybody sucks their first time out. You know, <laughs> you don't make that jump. So, <laughs> yep. But it's about sticking with it. So, right. So you jump on the tables. Yeah, man, that's, 
And then, then so what happens? What happens next? Is there just kind of like this growth process? People just keep giving you opportunities. What happens here? Um. So after that, man, I started practicing. You know, the uh, radio station had turntables up there, mm-hmm. so I learned. You know, I learned how to blend. You know, by using that stuff, and I just got more gigs. Mm-hmm. You know, I got booked more. And as I got booked more, that's, you know, you know, kind of how I met Ivory, you know what I'm saying? And and we built our relationship up, you know, through him coming up, doing the freestyle battles. And then a lot of these parties that I was doing, I think he might have been at them, but I just think he heard, you know, and some of the stuff, he actually, like, booked me for some stuff, too, right. you know. And then as more as more time progressed you know what I'm saying like uh, I guess maybe like one or two parties he did with me on campus and he was on the mic or whatever mm-hmm. so you know it, that's how it, that's how it all started at UNF mm-hmm. um, yeah man that's 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 how I met Ivory so was there that's no formal like uh, would you say that there was no formal like sit down where it's like yo I'm looking to make this company I want to bring you on. I want to. I want you to be the official DJ, or I want you to be one of the DJs. Was it anything like that, or did or it did point blank just kind of appear? Because that's the thing that I've I've never really known. Like obviously, I know you. I know Ivory. I've known I've known Bird for years. I know everybody. I, I know Chris. You know, but I don't know how it actually comes to be. It just one day exists. Is that literally how it happened, or is is there a piece of the story that ends up putting it all together? Nah, you know, I, I, I'm actually, I was actually coming on to something that was already, in, in my head at least, something that was already going on, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, I think Ivory already had, I don't, as far as like point blank, I don't, I know, I'm pretty sure he had that idea in his mind, you know, before before I came along. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he was rapping a lot more when I first met him. So I don't know how everything was exactly supposed to play out. I don't know how deep he was. You know, he was supposed to get into the promotion game or whatever. But when I met him, he was already throwing, I think, you know, doing his own events. Um, It's funny because did I get to doing an event with him? We were supposed to do an event, a Halloween party. But at the last second, it got shut down, which was crazy. Because I believe that was the only event we might have did before the Roxy actually started. Really? Wasn't he at, wasn't I read yeah. T-Birds for a while? Or was that just, was that someone else? Oh, uh, T-Birds? I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. It's, it, it, I don't know. So your first major venue is, is the Roxy? Yeah. Okay. Me and Ivory, your first major venue. And how does that come together? Uh, dude, man, like, so... You know, at this point in time, no, I for maybe, you know, a couple months, maybe like a year. And he gets an opportunity. Oh, because of that party. So, yeah, that's how it works out. So because of that party that we couldn't do, that guy, it was a Halloween party and we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And he linked up with, um, I guess he already knew Tom Fisher. Yep. And, of course, at the time, I believe Tom was one of the owners of the Roxy. Right, yeah. So, <clears throat> So Ivy set something up. They do it every Friday up there at the Roxy. Mm-hmm. And he hit me up and was like, yo, 151, you want to do the whole, you want to do, you know what I'm saying, spin up here on Friday night. And I was like, the hell yeah. And he 
So like at the time, it was like, yeah, we're gonna pay you one hundred and fifty dollars, you know, every Friday. And mm-hmm. I was like a a twenty one year old in college, dude. And so when he told me that, I thought I was rich. I was like, okay, I'm straight for life. I'm good. <laughs> I ain't gotta worry about nothing else. One hundred fifty dollars. I ain't gotta worry you know, about nothing. What? My life is set. One hundred fifty. <laughs> man, let me tell you, man. You know, I didn't really want much else at the time, so $150 to me, every, and I was like, every week, just give it? Like, come on, man, I'm hired. Good, I, you got me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's basically, that's basically, you know, how everything, you know, how everything started. Um, it was like, you know, I guess little things, you know, before that, but I don't really, yeah, it was like little parties, you know, we, we, we did together, and just a lot of that time was, it was just, you know, it was that, you know, that Steve Wisenhock, you know, um, and what is that, Bill Gates, you know, or Steve Jobs. Yeah, right. Um, in the garage type of thing, you know what I'm saying? It was real organic back then, you know, it wasn't nothing, wasn't anything major, you know? That's, that's crazy how that all comes about. And that's usually, <laughs> contrary to what a lot of people believe, a lot of these things just kind of happen organically. It's It usually is not right. some master plan. And I think that that's what a lot of young people and I try to share information like this with young people who listen to the podcast they think that there's some master plan that they have to have at like 16 years old in order to get to where a Brandon Kobe Jacobs or an Ivory or or you know you know whoever you know Lee or Cohen or or whoever might be 151 to get to to get to those places they think that there's some huge master plan that has to be in place from the time you're like 15 16 years old and it's not because even for New Blood Entertainment, it literally was me and one other guy just doing stuff together because we were interning at the radio station. They wouldn't pay us for flyers. Like, the radio station was getting flyers from club venues that they were, you know, doing live remotes with, and then they would just hand them to us to have us pass them out. And we were like, but we're doing this for free. Like, why are we doing this for free when that promoter usually has to pay somebody to do it? So... We just decided to get together and do it. And on January 27th, 2005, um, you know, I went to my then girlfriend with a list of company names and said, which one of these looks good? And she said, I like new blood spelled N-E-W because N-U is stupid. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, and that's literally how New Blood Entertainment came to pass. And it did all of the things that it did. But to that point, like, you know, usually... Like with Point Blank, I, I probably is very much so the same way where, you know, Ivory and Chris and Maurice and Vernon, like all of these people are coming up together around the same time, doing a lot of the same things. And Ivory has sort of a, a right. leadership quality about him. Like, you know, Ivory's very charismatic, you know, uh, I, you know, uh, Bird called him green on the podcast, you know, but, um, you know, and it was in a joking fashion, but. I mean, Ivory is very charismatic from the standpoint of he can make you believe, you know, I I can do anything. Of of course I follow you. You know, like it just, you know, it it just seems that way with him a lot when you when you first meet him. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? Oh, when I first met him, man, it was uh, I mean, we were were in college, so I ain't really I think a lot of people, a lot of people, um, they met Ivory when he was like. CEO already. Yeah, yeah, he was already CEO. So when I'm at Ivory, you know, we were all just college students. So, I mean, I've seen that. I see it now. I see it now more than I did, you know, in the past because I had to take a, um, 
you know, I had to step step back, you know what I'm saying, for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, when I moved away. Right. Um, and I got to see everything from a different view. I'm like, oh, okay. Nah, that dude was doing it. He's really doing his thing, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but when I, but he's, I mean, yeah, but to, uh, to people's credit, you know what I'm saying, what they say about him. When I first met him, you know, he had the same drive, same work ethic, all that stuff. So, he's definitely, if, you know what I'm saying? They say money makes you, brings out the, the what do they say? Money brings out the, I won't say the worst, but it brings out who you really are. Right, 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 right. You know, obviously, obviously, you know, I always had like this crazy work ethic, you know, always grind, you know, ever grind as hard as you can. So, if they say it about, about money, if you got a little money now, then that dude works 10 times as hard. So, right. that's what I will say about that. You know, my health. So, so what is life like during the Roxy era? Talk a little bit about just kind of the culture, the energy of that time period, because a lot of people, you know, we we recently did a return to the Roxy event for UNF Black Alumni Weekend and things like that. And I think that maybe it was lost on some of the older or, or I'm sorry, some of the younger alumni who didn't get to live in that experience. I showed up in around 2006 when it really has now taken taken form and really is something special in the uh, Jacksonville nightlife. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be there on a Friday night at the at the top of of, of everything for the Roxy? Dude was a, what, what they say, man? Dude was a zoo. It was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was a movie before it was a movie. Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, dude, it was it was it was spring break. You know, every every Friday, every weekend, man, it was. Dude, it was it was uh, it was the best party. It was it was the classic. You know what I'm saying? Every weekend, right. every Friday, because it was it was at the time for a lot of people. Like I said, I was I was really young back then, so I hadn't even really had a chance to go to a lot of clubs by the time the Roxy had started. So. Mm-hmm. Um, from my understanding, man, it was it was something different for a lot of people. Um, and also partying at the beach. I don't right. think a lot of people did I don't think that was, you know that was really heard of at the time. You know, you didn't really go out to the beach to party. I think it was more on the north side, especially for black people. I think it was more on the north side and flush area. So mm-hmm. we didn't really get down that far, so um it was, dude. It was just crazy back then. Okay. Well, you know, at least from you know, at least from me, it was from my perspective. Right. Now, I always found you to be an exceptional DJ. I've I've seen you grow over the years, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But selfishly, I got to ask you, you, how do do you remember how we met? Because I, I I really don't. Is it just sort of like one day I appear in the framework of your of your memory? <laughs> Man, so I'm, I'm gonna keep honest with you. So between those years, dude, I don't really remember. No, nah, I don't remember a lot, or <laughs> a lot of how I met. Um, I met a lot of people, man. You know, it's just like one night. Um, you know, one night, you know, you meet somebody, and then, you know, the next thing, you know, it's eleven years have gone by, and you're like, hey, you know, we've known each other this long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you it's know so that? crazy to me because I, I keep trying to remember and I can't, but I but I go through like photos and stuff, and they're like we're together, like you're at my birthday party and shit like that, and it's like, what? How? What? When did we get to this place? Like, you know, like, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know what I'm saying, like. 
you were just in Atlanta, you know, and I and I just came up to your crib, and that was something I actually thought about then. I was like, dude, how, how I, I mean, I don't understand how I've known this dude for so, so long. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is a good question. When, do, when did we first meet? What was our first interaction? But I honestly, I mean, if you started coming around maybe like in 2006, then that still doesn't help, you know what I'm yeah. saying? We narrow it down, so. <laughs> do, you remember what the, do you remember what the New Blood movement from Jacksonville was like? Yeah, man, I, I remember that, man. Y'all y'all came through there like, do I wish I could just find like a, figure out a group, you know what I'm saying, that just kind of came through in the music industry. I want to say y'all terrorized, but you know, y'all really, y'all made a statement. I will say that. <laughs> y'all definitely made a statement, you know, um, and I, um, that's probably how I first, how I first met you from just, you know, what you did with New Blood and, you know, and the promotions and everything, because I don't, you, ever, you know, a lot formal, you know, formal introduction, you know, I don't really remember that, you know, and I don't, I definitely probably don't have a story like you had with Bird where, mm-hmm. I forgot what you said, how you think, him, so yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's over a girl, but yeah. <laughs> Hey, hello? Yeah. Hello? Yep. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> Didn't tell me this never happened before on the podcast. Y'all know, man. It's not a shit crazy shit be happening, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, we were, what we were talking about, we were obviously talking about talking about New Blood and kind of what that relationship was like. But yeah, we I think we were just like yeah. a mass of people, man, to be honest with you. We were a tad bit insane in, in our approach. Right. Drove Ivory crazy. I know that for a fact. <laughs> most, most, most definitely, yeah, most definitely. Now, what? When does your relationship build with Chris Slade? Because I know now you guys do or did have a really great relationship with each other. Y'all have done uh, done music together and things like that. Did, did that relationship start there, or did it start through Ivory? How does how does all of that? Not Ivory, but Vernon, rather his brother. A lot of people don't know that. How does that all come together? Um. I guess you could say it started through Vernon because Vernon Vernon was, you know, I guess Chris's manager at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, at least he was the one that was pushing Chris's music. And this right. was this all started. This is when I first met Chris at the Roxy. You know, mm-hmm. this all started back at the Roxy. The so, I'm the shit. The, um, the uh, record days. Okay. Yeah, 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 definitely yeah, all of that. You know, it started way back then. So, um, he um. He would bring me records, man, but it wasn't until maybe like maybe like another two, three years later until I actually started uh, really working with Chris. Okay. Um, because he was still he was in Tallahassee actually, so he was back and forth between um, Jacksonville and uh, Tallahassee. Yeah, we, but, we um, use across paths too. Yeah, but he um he uh he was just an artist, you know, that brought me his stuff. He was just one of the artists that would bring me that music and wanted me to play it. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, for some reason, I was just like, you know what? Because I, I just didn't like it, you know. And I'm, you know, to be no, honest, I respect that. Be completely honest. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just didn't like. Well, actually, no. I said I shouldn't say I didn't. I didn't like it. I did. Well, I didn't like it for the club. Right. Put it like that. I didn't like it to play it behind what I was playing in the club. So, what I what I did was I was like, you know what, I'm going to work with him, you know what I'm saying, on the strength of Vernon, you know, because, you know, I know Vernon and, you know, I've gotten to know him through Vernon. So I was like, you know what, 
let me work with this. Let me go in the studio and I guess kind of point them in the right direction. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because the, the, because at the time, I think a lot of artists are a little more, you know, smarter now as far as beats go. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, a lot of artists were just kind of making their own, you know, their own music, which was cool, but it just didn't go with anything that was going on in the club, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I got with Chris, and I can't help all the artists, so I figured, you know what, i help him. Right. And that's, you know, how I started working with Chris. You did, know, you, um, did you ever work with Vernon uh, musically when he was dime high? I'm, I'm giving away some information here for for some of the younger listeners who who don't know Vernon K. Johnson as as a rapper. My sister is on his first album uh, that, when he was dime high. You can go check that out. I think that was released in <laughs> 1998, 1999. He's gonna be oh, so man, mad when I do this. He's up. gonna be pissed. For real. <laughs> exactly, man. That man is, dude, that makes him sound. I'm almost making him sound ancient, man. Vernon's current is yesterday. You know what I'm saying? He's good. I this is this is for Vernon um, because Vernon won't get on the podcast. So I'm just. <laughs> oh, really? No, he he, uh, he, he said, won't get on the podcast. No, he wants to be an observer, as he's told me like four times. So, but. Nah, man. Nah, we'll get him on there, man. You gotta be like a group of us. He'll, he'll get us all on there. Um, but now, nah, like, Vernon, the whole thing with Vernon, like, was, because he, like, to me, like, Vernon was, you know, Vernon and Ivory, that's, when I, when I came in, when I came in through Point Blank, mm-hmm. Vernon was already there. It was Vernon and uh, Maurice. They had Dime, and um, uh, it was, uh, I can't, I, I'm not going to, I'm not about to say everybody's name. Yeah, yeah Chris APG. Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, think Chose was yeah, around yeah. at that point. I think Chose and Ivory were friends, but Chose wasn't in the industry yet. No. So. Right, yeah, he, was, he wasn't He was exactly uh, quite there yet. Um, mm-hmm. Where everyone in, on the team didn't know him. Um, yeah, APG, you had um, Tandem, mm-hmm. which was Die One and, and, and Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, man, like a conglomerate of companies when I first came around and Dime was definitely a part of that conglomerate. So you're talking about so, the black hand. Yes, you're, you're exactly, <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> you are exactly right. That shit sound like some, some mafioso shit, right? <laughs> or if you take it, or if you look, watching Netflix now and watching, uh, Watching that that um that new Marvel series, yeah, it's like that because the the main villain in that is the Black Hand, so Iron Fist. Right, Iron Fist, right? Yeah, yeah you know the Hand, yeah. yeah, exactly who it is. You know what I'm saying? You know, operate in the shadows, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be careful, you know. But right. yeah, it was um it was all of them, and that's exactly what it was, the Black Hand. So, um. When I when I like when I first got out, you know, started working with Ivory or whatever, point blank, um, in in my eyes, you know what I'm saying, all those dudes were, you know, they were like, Okay, this is this is what's about to happen, you know. Like they about to run the city, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. From every angle, you know. Right. And you and you, and you and inevitably you guys do. You move from the Roxy when the Roxy shuts down. Um I mm-hmm. think I think you was it Seabreeze first? I think it was Seabreeze first and then to the real team. So you go to the real team and you're the star of the show basically at the real team. But what is your energy like? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're the guy. You're the guy that's jumping in the crowd and crowd surfing to party like a rock star. You're that guy. Right. Now, 
does because we we obviously need to kind of move jump ahead a little bit here to kind of talk about some of the topics that other people have discussed on their episodes of the podcast does your energy or your perspective or your point of view of point blank of how music is presented in Jacksonville does it start changing then do you start having kind of a an artistic uh, renaissance if you will at that point or is it or does it come later um you could uh it 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 didn't at the real thing mm, i don't want to say it was it started there no not really okay not at the real thing I guess yeah. Actually, you know what? You probably could say yeah. It started at the real thing. Was it what was it, was it the was, environment? Did you did you just not? Was it like I'm coming in? I'm playing the same records over and over again. I want to do something different, but the but the climate won't let me. What's what's going on in your head? No, nah, I mean well, what happened was while I was doing the real thing, um, first Friday at Terra Nova. Um, has started. Okay, now pure. And it's now pure, but it was back then. It was Terra Nova. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now it's pure. Uh, um, it used to be Terra Nova, but Terra Nova had just opened up, mm-hmm. and they started doing First Friday over there. And I went to one First Friday before. You know, I went to the real thing one night, and I stopped over there, and I and I went over there, and I was like, there was really nobody there. I was like, oh man, this this sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the DJ really, he wasn't really going in. And I was like, you know what? If y'all put me here, I guarantee you, turn it up. I will, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll do my thing. And um, I told the promoter that. And who is um, Quincy? Uh, Night Vision. I think that's the name of his joint. Night Vision. Quincy Benton. Okay. And I told him that. I was like, yo, I'll, I'll, make, I'll make it pop. You know, you put me in here, you know. And it's because, like, at the real thing, it was more like, it was like an 18 and up spot. So you could really only run certain records, you know what I'm saying? It was really, and it was really, and it was really hood in the real thing at the time. Right. Um, so. Now, I've got to stop you right was, there, though. i got to stop you right there. Yeah. You have a relationship with Ivory at this point. You're viewed as the point blank DJ. And you're going yeah. to a, to another venue saying, hey, put me on here. I can I can really turn the crowd here and I, and I can get you get you the kind of visibility you're looking for. Do you not feel a sense of loyalty to Ivory before you decide okay, I'm going to try to see whether or not I can get my foot in the door at this new venue? Like did you feel like you were obligated to Ivory and to the Point Blank family or did you feel more like I'm obligated to myself and creatively what I want to do? Well, it was, you know, at the time, you know, my manager was uh, Wall Street. Okay. Which was Tandem Entertainment, which is one of the the Black Hand, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. One of the companies in the Black Hand. So it was kind of of his idea, you know what I'm saying? So I think it was something that was already uh, possibly, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I won't say correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, I believe it was something that was kind of already discussed between Wall Street and Ivy at the time, so... Mm -hmm. I don't, and he kind of told me about it. He's the one who took me over there and was like, yo, you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I could, you know. And when I seen it, and I was like, yeah, I could do this. So I don't think it was like a, um, I was just out one Friday night, and I went over there, and I was like, you know what, I'm about, I want to do this spot over here. Okay. It was, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was like that. So... Mm-hmm. 
um, when I did it though, I realized how much more music or how much music I wasn't playing. Right. So I think that's so I think that's kind of how it started. Okay. It was like, you know, I'm going over here running all these records, but then it was a completely different crowd. So it was actually it was actually kind of um, fulfilling because on these certain weeks I could play this music, and then on this week I could play this. You know. Right. And then plus you also had you also had still had D Money that could back you up because D Money is there as another point blank DJ um, who can kind of who can draw the crowd and I think around this time I started managing D Money which I think probably caused and I I'm gonna end up interviewing D Money in the next few days and we'll we'll talk a little bit about what? about that kind of stuff yeah man I I, I talked to him today. And um, he wants to get on the podcast, and we're gonna chop it up about where he's been, what's what's been going on with him, and and our history as well. But so that ends up happening with you, and we obviously have to get to one main topic that was discussed in the the last current podcast that we, that I did with Bird. The Roxy, not I'm sorry, not the Roxy. The real team ends up closing. I was without a venue for a period of time. I remember this. This was around the March-April period. I know that because that's when New Blood Entertainment went bankrupt because we tried to do a four weeks while Ivory was shut down. So it really, really <laughs> calls home. So around that right. period of time, um, you know, you're not really doing anything from a venue standpoint. Um, you start having some sort of other artistic, uh, you know, expressions that you want to pursue and what have you. Now, can you explain to me what happens the night that they opened up, I guess, whatever the new venue was that they had gotten for that period of time? And, you know, I guess there was the expectation that since you were the point blank DJ, you were going to DJ in the main room of that venue. And... Right. You end up not DJing in the main room of that venue because you're in Miami. Now, before you answer anything, I want you to keep in mind what was said. What was said was that also, first and foremost, Bird made mention of the fact that you have notoriously not been the sort to answer your phone and that they were looking for you that night because the understanding and the expectation was based on whatever communication took place that you were going to be the DJ to open up that venue that night. And they tried right. to call you. You didn't answer the phone for anybody else. Bird calls you. You pick right. up the phone. Bird asks you where you are. And if you're coming, you say, nah, man, I'm not coming. I'm in Miami. And at that point, <laughs> and at that point, it causes uh, a division because apparently there were some people who were already feeling some type of way towards you in Point Blank. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, whether or not you remember feeling that vibe from anybody. But at that point, right. now you've slighted Ivory, who takes this personally, which causes a rift in your relationship with him. I want to know a couple of things. Do you recall have any other people having issues with you in Point Blank prior to this night? Is what happened this night true? And, and if it is true, why did you do this to someone who viewed you as a friend and a long-term business partner? Wow, that was that was deep right there. I almost feel like I'm a, almost court right now. <laughs> but um, let's see here. Um, it didn't quite. So going from the real team to going to the real team to Bourbon Street, I think it was. I don't think it was Bourbon Street. It was another venue. It was. Yeah. 
Yeah, when the, so when the real team closed, I believe we went. They went. We went to Bourbon. Well, they went to Bourbon Street next. Okay. Um. So it was. It was like there was still like some time between between the. Um, Cause that was like maybe like you're right, you're right, you're right, and you end yeah, up going. So you it yeah, it's 2000. And it's roughly around 2009. You end up going to Twisted Sister. I know because that's when I started supporting Vernon um, over at Twisted yeah. Sister. So we're both over there now. Whatever right. venue they got from, whether it was from Bourbon Street, it was not Bourbon Street because I remember Bird sent, talking about it. It wasn't Bourbon Street that they get to. That it's another venue. I think it's that spot that's over off of Phillips, but. I looked at it, how I viewed it. 
Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to skip out on the club night and be like, you know, forget y'all or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It right. wasn't anything like that. But I guess kind of how, probably how I reacted towards afterwards probably made it look like that a little more. How'd you react afterwards? Um, um I didn't really say too much. You know, I just didn't really, I was like, okay, it is what it is, you know. You know, I just wasn't even really thinking about it that hard. I was like, it was just another club night. You know, I was, it didn't even really, you know, it wasn't even like, yo, we doing a club night, dog. We got to be there. We got to, I was like, whatever, you know. Right. It'll be, to me, it was like, it'll be another club, you know. Hey, who cares, you know, at that time, mm-hmm. you know. But a lot of, but to get up to that point, a lot of stuff, you know, it was just a lot of stuff, you know what I'm saying, I guess that led to that. Stuff like that what? Point, you know what I'm saying? Um, dude, this is a long story, man. We got like we need to call VH1 or something like that, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's okay. just a lot of it's just a lot of little nuances, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of little things that kind of made up one one big moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. So now, fast forward, decision, but fast but, forward, I want to fast forward. You know what I'm saying? But most, of, but, but what I want to say is most importantly, like it's like I wasn't. Because when you asked me, you was like, what made you do this to someone who doesn't... Right. Like, uh, I mean, like, what makes it... Like, if somebody views you as a friend and, and you know, a business partner in some capacity or another, how do you just, like, bounce, not answer phone calls? I mean, based on the way that Bird presented the narrative. Not answer phone yeah, calls and then, Bird, and then Bird calls you and you pick up the phone and you're like, I'm in Miami. Like, I mean, even with the issues that Ivory and I have had, I mean, that, if that was right. the way that it went down, that's fucked up. Right. It was, you know, so at that time, like, you know, me and Ivory, me and Ivory was still cool, but we had, we weren't really talking mm-hmm. much. Like, I hadn't really, yeah, I talked to him at the club, yeah, but outside of the club, no, that, I wasn't really speaking, you know. So you didn't feel obligated but, to explain yourself? Not necessarily feel obligated to explain to him, but the relationship that we had, like when we first started, wasn't the same as you know at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So when you say like, did I have problems with people in Point Blank? No, I didn't have problems, but did I feel as close or did I feel as connected to Point Blank? No, I didn't. Okay. So that doesn't necessarily mean it was a problem, but I just didn't feel I wasn't like. I wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as when Roxy first started versus at that point in time. Now, a question that, that some people have, have posed over the years, and people have said it about my relationship with this person, and people have said it about your relationship with this person. Do you feel like there have been times where Vernon has acted as a linchpin that ultimately, not saying it's his fault, but ultimately ended up causing a divide between one relationship and another. Some people say my my desire to befriend Vernon, who I'm always going to be friends with and be close with because he dated my sister. Um, he's a member of the Church of Christ. We're both members of the Church of Christ. And he's somebody that I looked up to who basically mentored me and brought me into the game even before I knew I wanted to be in the game. Like, I'm 
looking at his CD, wanting to be that, be like him. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like with Ivory, where I see Ivory's posters all over the north side because I live on the north side, and I want to be Ivory. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to be this guy. Maybe not in right. the same capacity, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you idolize these people on a certain level. They're they're local heroes, and so obviously I'm always going to have a bond with Vernon. But some people will say, you know, that having that relationship with Vernon and Vernon being so independent sometimes in turn has caused you know negative relationships between people that choose to work side by side with him more closely and maybe another representative of Point Blank. Do you think that that's true on any level? Like your choice to go to uh, Twisted Sister and nah I like Twisted Sister more think I'm going to stay over here. Um, you see what I mean? No. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Um, and that's not a slight on Vernon, like, like, you know what I'm saying? So. Right. Right, right, right. No, I don't I don't think Vernon uh, caused any, any tears, anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean. Because yeah, I know, I know that the, the, the one thing about him and Ivory is they're both leaders. They both have alpha personalities. And and Vernon ain't gonna and Vernon ain't gonna back down for nobody. If Vernon sees an opportunity that he feels like benefits him, right. you know, like this black hand shit is cool and all, but uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm finna go get this cash. You know what I'm saying? That's just kind of how he's always been. But right. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I guess yeah, they did go. I mean, they, I did see him go head to head like back in the day, mm-hmm. like when the Roxy first, like yeah, back when the Roxy first started. It was, um, I mean, but you know, they were, they were, you know, that if I think that was certain business things, but at the end of the day, they're always boys, you know, mm-hmm. like certain, yeah, you know, what I mean, like I guess, you know, business, business wise, but I mean, if you know Vernon, then you, you I mean, like you might understand a lot more than just somebody explaining you, you know, a certain situation, right? So. I don't think, um, I mean, at that moment, you know what I'm saying? And I've seen him argue before. I remember the times we were in Orlando. <laughs> Brandon will piss you off, you know, but oh, yeah. he, he'll, he'll definitely, I mean, he'll definitely, um, he'll definitely come back, you know what I'm saying, the next day and, you know, apologize, especially if he, if you know, it was overboard, you know, and he'll definitely talk to you about it, so. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, I feel like, stay, stay mad at a dude like that, you know, so. Right. Now, but, I want to um, get to one one topic, too. So, the next thing that I do want to cover is yeah. the day that you leave or that 72-hour that period before you leave to go to L.A. The way that Bert right. presented the story was that on a Thursday or mm-hmm. a Friday, you come to him and talk mm-hmm. about him being a DJ and making his position you know, more concrete and point blank. And he says, yeah, that's something that I want to do. And then you say, cool, right. let's get you, let's get you trained up because I'm going to LA on Monday. Is that really how this happened? Mm-hmm. That is, that is now, yes, that's probably how it happened. I don't exactly remember me telling him that, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it happened because that's basically how I told, I would say about 98% of the people that I was moving to how I was moving to California. What in the world happens that makes you just decide pack up, move to move to California, and I'm gonna tell everybody three days before, regardless of the fact that I have business relationships and all this kind of stuff. Did you just not care about any of that stuff anymore, and you were just ready to go? 
you know, and, and what was Ivory's perception on you at that point? Like, or did you just not care well, what I mean, his perception I, was? Well, I kind of didn't, you know, care what, you know, any anyone's perception was at that time. You right. know? Um, so a lot of the business relationships that I had, you know, were kind of, you know, over. I really didn't have any obligations to, to Jacksonville like that. Right. Um, um, and it wasn't like a last minute decision. It mm-hmm. was something I have, something I had been thinking about for like several months. Right. Um, but it was, but it was, it was, it might have not been a last minute decision for you, but it was definitely something that no one else knew. Right, right, right. It was definitely something, you know, yeah, it was definitely something no one else knew. Hold that thought. Uh, I'll be right back. But, uh, Hold that thought. I'll be right back. Yeah. Hold on. Now we both put somebody on hold during the podcast. <laughs> Man, that was cool. Dude. Now we got the coolest podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is the coolest, the coolest podcast ever. So there's a situation where you just bounce. You tell everybody, you know, a few days mm-hmm. before, and you just bounce. Now, granted, it's something that you knew about that you had thought in your own head. Why didn't you present that right. to some of the people around you? Um. Long story short, I didn't want people, you know, stopping stopping me, which is what I knew would probably happen. It was something I felt like I needed to, to do. Okay. Um, you know, but to, yeah, it was just something I felt like I needed to do. But I guess to, to clear up, to clear up, but because it's a, it's a long timeline here. It's from when the Roxy happened, to me moving to California. There's a long timeline, a long list of, you know, other things that happened. Mm-hmm. So from the from the Roxy to when I before I moved to California, what's different is like the relationships I had with everybody. Like like it wasn't the same. You know what I'm saying? So as far as like me doing certain things and I guess, you know, like, cause you said the way you put it, it was like, you know, you know, you're so close to them and like, no, I'm not, not really not anymore. You know, we still did club together and stuff like that. You know, I still work with certain people, but it wasn't the same anymore. You know, um, I don't know if it was because that time of period, you know, 2000, it looks like 2009, 2008. So, you know, I don't know if it was the, just that particular time of period or if it was something else, but it just wasn't, I felt like something needed to change, you know? Right. Or at least for, something needed to change, or, or at least for me. Okay. Um, because I didn't really feel like I was going anywhere. Okay. You know? Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was something I, man, something I had thought about for, for a while, and I didn't tell anybody. And when I say I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell anybody. So it was, not just like people I did business with, it was my family. I didn't tell anybody, mm. you know. So a lot of people, because I find it funny when like a lot of people, I, like a friend and associates, like they'll be like, I can't believe you didn't tell me. But like my family cool with it, you know. They'll be like, oh, you going, that's where you going? All right, well, cool. We support you, then boom. And that was that. Right. But a lot of other people were very just like, kind of like how you just presented it on the phone. Like, how can you do that, you know? Well, the reason why I could do that is because most of the other people, you know, they were, it was, I was just kind of like a tool to other people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, 
I wasn't anything else. You know, it was just like, well, when Mike's leaving, then that my use, my reason for him being around is leaving as well. So like, no, we got. If I would have told people, they would have tried to stop it. You know. Right. And. So that's what you know. That's what the reason is behind that. Was. So it wasn't going to be a situation to where like where your where your relationship with Ivory would extend beyond where he goes. Okay, I know this last minute, but um, obviously this is something that you're passionate about. This is something that you want to do. We as Point Blank want to support you in that. Take the brand, go over there. Anything that we could do to support you, help you expand, help promote you from here, we'll do that. You didn't feel like that was something that would happen in that. So it was like, okay, well, it's just time for me to go. Is that fair to say? It was, I mean, obviously one aspect of it, yeah. Okay. But it's, it's, it's definitely a lot more than point blank, you know what I'm saying, at that time. No, so um, to just, to wondering what, how it would help point blank, me going out there, I knew how it would help everyone, but I wasn't just going to reach out to one specific one specific person and be like, you know what, you know, when I go out here, what can I do, you know, and all this other all this other kind of stuff. No, that's not. Again, that will fall in line of, you know, what can I do for you while I'm out here, versus what can I do for myself in return that could help you. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, what did you do so, for yourself while you were out there? <laughs> Um, so a lot of what you just said earlier, when you were like, did I feel bad about certain things that I had did before I left? And, you know, it was, my life was moving so fast. I never had a chance to slow down and think about a lot of stuff. So out there, I had time to reflect. When I moved out to California, I had time to reflect. I had time to look at a lot of stuff that I had did, decisions I had made up to that point in time. And, you know, that's when, you know, I like, was able to assess a lot of that stuff and really think, you know, down on it. Like, oh, okay, that that might that might have been fucked up, or probably shouldn't have did this, or I probably, you know, bad time to think about it. So in the moment at that time, you know, when a lot of stuff happened, no, I wasn't like all those thoughts you had. Yeah, in hindsight, yeah, it, oh, you could say a lot of that stuff, but at that time, no, I wasn't thinking about how this person felt or that or this, that, and the other. No. Okay. So you spent a lot of time out there just sort of reflecting, kind of uh, building yourself up. I know that I noticed artistically that you kind of evolved while you were out there. I don't know what happened if it was just you kind of got to see the music scene in L.A. and that kind of created a new groove for for 151. I saw that you went through the a period of time where you were the 151 experience. Um, do you feel like that 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 being in California changed the way that you you present yourself as a DJ or just artistically in general? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always influenced, you know. I've always been influenced by, like if I go somewhere else. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, if you ask Vernon, like, I mean, the joke is, like if I go, you can always tell where I've been because when, when, I, when I came back to Jacksonville, that's how I would DJ. Mm -hmm. So if I went to New York, you know, and I come back like the next, week, you know, you go in here, you know what I'm saying, like this big New York set, mm -hmm. you know, and Miami, it's, it's going to be the same thing. So it de it definitely influenced me, but I wanted the influence, you know. Um, it's a completely, it's a, a, a way, a much bigger market. So like the music is like, it's endless out there. 
you know, you can play whatever you want. So right. it definitely influenced me. Okay. Now I you leave end up leaving LA, you come to Atlanta, you and I, mm-hmm. you know, build a relationship back up in Atlanta. We party, we kick it, right. drunken cookouts, things like that. And we talked and and I, I, I talked to you a little bit about I don't think I had completely, you know, conceived the Black Alumni Weekend in my own mind. Um, I don't, right. I don't know if we had a committee yet, but I had, but we had spoken about. When's the last time you talked to Ivory? Uh, when's the last time you and Ivory did anything together? And I, I put that bug out yeah. there, and then I told you, I said, I think we're going to end up doing something together. I'll be in touch, and I'm sure I'll be in touch. Went on for about six, seven months, and it was like. I don't think he's going to be in touch. <laughs> but <laughs> finally, you get a phone call from me saying, hey, I'm doing this Black Alumni Weekend in February. Um, you know, right. we we did a vote, and, and you ended up coming out um, as as a number one DJ that people wanted to have participate in the weekend. What were your feelings on that? Mm. That I was a number one DJ. Yeah, that, that, that after I, all of this time and that has passed, you know, a group of UNF alumni end up voting, and you know the the options are True Story, Doctor Doom, you, Ricky, and all, all this kind of stuff. And Ricky ends up DJing the tailgate, but they want you in the nightclub. Like like when I call you and I tell you that, what, what is your thought process on that? I didn't, I didn't know I, I didn't know I had all those other people behind me or like or I was like behind all those other people you know like as for, for now it's like really humbling you know I appreciate it you know what I'm saying like um appreciate it a lot more than I did at the time you know when I was actually doing it but mm-hmm. it's dope man for people to recognize you for something that you do mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like and they feel like you you do it well, yeah. regardless of how you feel about it. You know what I'm saying? You could be like, I could be feeling like any kind of way, and I'd be like, Yo, man, 151, man, you, you done it. You know what I'm saying? You really did your thing. Well, come out here and do this, that, and the other. You know? Um, I will say this: I I do for a while. I did try to get away from music, but you know, it made me realize, I guess, the impact that I had because. I just can't, especially if I'm back in Jacksonville, you can't get away from it, you know? Right. People always don't remember, you know, that certain time period, you know, or whatever, and it's uh, it's an emotion that, that goes along with it, so, you know, they'll always definitely remember it, so. Right. It's, it's dope, man, you know? So, what, what was your, so you end up DJing at Pure on Saturday night during you, the first ever UNF Black Alumni Weekend, the Return to the Roxy event. Um, Bird ends up putting out a promotional uh, video talking about the guy who helped bring him up in the DJ game and all of this kind of stuff. And and one of the most interesting things is that you've got to get on stage with Ivory for the first time in 10 years. Now, I was outside. Did you guys ever actually end up getting together? Did you guys, even if you didn't end up on the, he didn't end up on the mic while you were DJing, did, did you guys even get an opportunity to kind of talk uh, on any level but over the course of that weekend um that weekend yeah no, I, I talked to Ivy like maybe a few minutes um that night he just mentioned he, he said he was outside the whole time but mm-hmm. I talked to him a few minutes a few minutes that night um 
But what was that like, right. just kind of crossing paths after all that time? Um, I mean, we had seen each other before, so, you know, it was, it was kind of like, I, you know, I don't know. It was, see, I had seen him before, so I guess it was like most of the other times I had seen him. Because, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I, you know, I come back to Jacksonville often, so, um, and I usually come by the, you know, spots that Point, you know, Point Blanker Town Capital was doing, so. Mm-hmm. I, uh, whenever I stop by there, you know what I'm saying, I do see him, I say what's up, you know what I'm saying, but as far as like an in-depth conversation, I haven't really had one um, in quite some time with him. Do you feel like there's something that you want to have happen? Say that again. Do you feel like that's something that you want to see happen? Do you feel like there's a conversation Um, that needs to happen? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, at some point in time, I, I felt like we'd probably sit down and talk. What we talk about, I don't know, but I figure we would, you know what I'm saying, at some point in time, yeah. Okay. Um, but probably I felt like it would be kind of like, you know what I'm saying, how everything started in its own, you know what I'm saying, in its own, I guess, organic kind of way, when the time is right, you know, I figure, but... Okay. Because... Have they talked? No, we haven't like sat down to talk me, but have we sat down? No, no, we haven't sat down to talk like that. No. Okay. But, but yeah, man. So well, definitely, now, um, <laughs> it definitely, uh, it definitely, it definitely will probably happen. Now, before we go, there's there's a couple of other things that I want to hit, but obviously, I say we come back to it. You've obviously okay. listened to the to the Ricky interview in depth, and Ricky pulls no right. punches. Sometimes the way that he presents a narrative isn't necessarily the best or the most politically correct way. He called you. Right. Did he. I, I. I haven't listened to it in a couple of days, but something to the effect of calling you a pawn. Um, you weren't really that good of a DJ initially. That. You weren't the first round draft pick. Things like that. What do you say to those things? Um, I mean, I, I, I wasn't the second round draft pick, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I never, I, I never really felt like I got booted the second, you know? So, I mean, if that's what... I don't know, that sounds like what, you know, what you would tell, you know what I'm saying, somebody when, you know, when you're mad at him in a relationship. Like, you wasn't even really my first choice. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Well, why are you with me then? Right. But, you know, it, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me. It's, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of people out there, like, you know, vying for the spot. But, you know, whatever I did, you know, I held it down for when I held it down, so. Okay. I guess you know that, that's what we say about that. But as far as like being a pawn or anything like that, um, when I first started DJing, I, I wasn't that wasn't a plan, you know. So I didn't really have any aspirations to to being a DJ. You know, I kind of just did it, you know, whenever it was needed. So um, if you want to call that, I mean, if you could look, I mean, if you want to, if I think that's what he's talking about when he say that, so. No, at first, no. But after a while, you know, when you, when I talk about going to First Friday and when those things happen, that was me developing my own, you know, style of DJing and, and coming to my own and, 
in the DJ world, you know, which kind of ultimately led to me, you know, you know, leaving. Right. So yeah. that's that's what that was about, you know. Okay. But by that point in time, I had I was comfortable enough to be like, all right, well, this is the kind of DJ I am, mm. you know. Okay. Now mm-hmm. I, I wanna I, I've been doing this with the with the last few people who were on the podcast, and I don't want to hold you too much longer because we've we've run over an hour. But I'm I'm gonna right. rattle off a couple of names, and I want you to briefly just kind of give me a synopsis of what comes to mind, okay? Yeah. All right. All right. Vernon K. Johnson. Vernon K. Man, he's a historian. Okay. He's a historian, man. He's the he's a dude that's been there the entire time. You know what I'm saying? It could probably flip. You know, every story you didn't heard. And I won't say give you the real one, but it give you even better perspective on what happened, of what's going on. Because okay. he can connect the dots, you know what I'm saying, to certain things that I'm only in the DJ booth, but he can see, he can tell you what happened from when, you know, that person left off the stage, walked through the crowd, then walked up to the DJ booth, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, he has, he's, he's that dude that's just been around, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, plus, man, that's that's the homie, man. That's my friend. Okay. You know, been down for a minute, so um, just Vernon K, man. Okay. He never really pissed me off to the point where I didn't want to talk to him, but you know, right. that's the boy. DJ you know? D Money. D Money brought to me by uh, Vernon, not brought to me, but brought to my attention by Vernon K. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'll say loyal, um, humble. Um, that dude was like, you know, he was always definitely the ultimate role player. You know what I'm saying? He would, he didn't mind, you know what I'm saying, doing what he had to do, you know, in the, in the, with the position that he had. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, he always wanted more, but especially when me and him were working together, he was always, you know, like, you know, if you want whatever you want to do, and definitely um, pass along some of that humility to myself, so. Right. That's, uh, that's the money right there. Bigger ranking. Bigger rankings. Bigger rankings, man. I'll say that you're just OG, man. Like, you can't think anything else. Um, he gave me um, a lot of he gave me a lot of the politics of the game. Right. You know, he, he schooled me on a lot of stuff that um, that wasn't you know that a lot of people just didn't 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 tell me about. You know. Okay. DJ Q four five. Q four five, dude. Um, if I'm Batman, he's Superman. Q four five, man. It's like it's a motherfucker here, man. God. But um, I love competition, and without Q four five, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been challenged. You know what I'm saying? During those years, you know what I'm saying? He, I was around him. Okay. You know, he kept, he made sure, like, very talented DJ, you know what I'm saying? Very knowledgeable about the music game. Um, and um, 
yeah, man, he, he kept me on my toes, you know, because I was always trying to, like, like let me get past this dude and, like, you know, it's hard to get past him, you know? He ain't getting past that. So, <laughs> <laughs> that nigga like, is nice. Guy, man, you, know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, it's definitely, um, yeah, he definitely uh, challenged me in that aspect. Bird Sanchez. DJ Bird. Bird. Bird Sanchez. Bird always, whenever I see Bird, whenever I, you know, come come back to Duval and see Bird, Bird it hit me with the, yo, this is the dude that taught me, you know, how to DJ. And then whenever he says that, I expect somebody in the crowd to be looking up and see like this old ass nigga, like <laughs> 50 years old or something with gray hair. Like, this is the dude that taught me how to DJ. <laughs> this guy right here, like, nah, we the same age, man. Like, but... <laughs> He, um, he, um, Bird Sanchez, man, like, so that dude taught me a lot, you know, as much as I taught him, you know what I'm saying, technical-wise, and, um, just about DJing in general, you know, that, that dude showed me, um, how to move on a team, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, he, he, he taught me, um, he taught me how to be, you know what I'm saying? How to, how to play a role, you know what I'm saying? How to be a team player, you know? Um, how to distribute the rock, you know, be the point guard. Right. You know, I, I learned, I learned that from him looking at him, you know, mm-hmm. from, from when he came in. Um, because I didn't understand all of that, you know, it, um, with the whole the, that time period was like when I left or when I was about to leave and you know when everything wasn't the same you know as it used to be you know with the um, you know with the uh, group he showed me you know what I'm saying like I, he, he, I talked to him you know what I'm saying and you know he told me what he'd say to certain people and he showed me how he talked to certain people and I'm well he actually showed me he was just telling me what he was doing you know right. and it wasn't what I was doing right. you know and I was like, like, damn, that's that's probably what I should be doing. So I'll say this: when I came up, when I when I first started DJing, like I my style was emulated a lot after Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Um, but so and my DJ style, like I got that's like the foundation of how I DJ. Right. But as far as like the foundation of you know what I'm saying, you know the politics and you know my business and what I built it off of. Like that dude, Bird. That's where I get it from. He probably never told him this, but that's where I get it from. Cause you know, like if you ever talk to anybody, you know, you know, nobody's gonna say anything bad about Bird. You know, right? You know that dude rocks with that dude rocks with everybody. And if I'm not already there, you know, that's kind of that's what I aspire to be like. So, right? You know. It's so funny. I saw him in a, um, when I saw him in the club that Friday um, of Black Love yeah. weekend. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't go up to the the DJ booth at first because you know you know right. it's a long time. It's no point in me doing that. He spotted me in the crowd and he goes, "Boss Hog, what's going on, man?" I said, "Oh shit, okay." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> do not to make you feel good, you know. I said, "Okay, all right." Yeah. You know, somebody in here still remembers remembers my uh my impact on the industry. So that was cool. Right, 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 right. So last one. 
Ivory or CEO. Point blank boss. Um, yeah. Man, Ivory, um, I had mentioned it earlier, but man, Ivory taught me to, Ivory taught me to grind, man. He taught me how to go out there and, um, and get it. You know, that's, when I think of Ivory, you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys, Ivory, like, yo, Ivory, what you doing, man? And like, I could be sitting next, sitting right next to him, you know what I'm saying? We'd be sitting up there playing Madden or sitting up there talking or something like that. And he'd call him on the phone, some of that, what you doing, man? I'm grinding, you know? <laughs> grinding. Like, you grind, like, you ain't grinding right now, man. We, we ain't we ain't grinding, man. We <laughs> chilling right now. But, you know what I'm saying? That was his, you know, that was his mantra, you know what I'm saying? That was his thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we always grinding, you know? Right. And um, and he, you know, he never stopped. You know what I'm saying? He he, he was definitely gonna be the um, you know, he gonna be the example. Right. And uh, that's what I got from how to start up. You know, how to start up a company, how to quit your job one on one and start up your own company and just you know take it to a whole other level. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So that's uh, that CEO right there. All right. Well, Mike, I, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out about an hour and a half to hop on the podcast, man. Give people your point of view, provide people with some information, and and I think that it that what this will do is continue to kind of build kind of the overall historical documentation, if you will, of Point Blank. I didn't walk into the podcast field to do that, but it looks like that's kind of a lot of what happened. We we've gotten you know, Cap, and we've gotten Ricky, and eventually we'll get Roger, and I'm going to keep harassing Ivory until I get Ivory. We've gotten Bird, and now we've got your part, which plays, you know, very huge in the in the very beginning. So I'm looking forward to getting the one that I refer to as the Capo, you know, the Jim Jones of the group, and Roger Vermeer, and getting him on the podcast, because I think that he's got a lot of insight. And then, of course, getting the, the general, if you will, uh, Ivory Orr on the, on the podcast. Um, but man, I just want to thank you so much. You know, I respect you, you know, you know what I'm saying? I, I value our friendship and, um, I look forward to us talking again, man. Yeah, man, most definitely for sure, man. I appreciate you having me, man. No problem. If you guys need to get in contact with me, you know, you can hit me up on the email at Jacobs at yahoo.com. You can also hit me up on Instagram at Jacobs. You can even hit me up on the Snapchat at BKJEST1984. You've been listening to DJ151 and your boy Brandon Kobe Jacobs, and this is the Established 1984 Podcast. Take care. <laughs>